The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives. Securing futures. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. And in the guest co-host chair for this mailbag edition of Talk of Champions, making his first appearance on Talk of Champions, Brian Scott Rippey. He works for Super Talk Mississippi. What's up, man? Not much. How are you? I'm good. You came on finally to this podcast. You even worked at the Spirit for a time and never came on this podcast. And look at you now, a big shot for Super Talk, and now you finally make your appearance. 
I know. Was this podcast around when I worked for you? I don't yeah. think I caught the invite. Yeah, yeah. It was the Ole Miss Spirit podcast, I think, back then. Oh, well, maybe you'll have to come on mine. I think we've had like two guests ever. You could be the third. Do you have the ability to get guests on your podcast yet? <laughs> yes, I do. But just with like school and other stuff, I, I just haven't had the time to like make it, I guess, what I want yet. But we're, we're working on that. What's the title of the podcast? Rebel Report. It's been a lot of brain cells accumulating that name. That sounds like a Willie's creation. <laughs> well, no, it, I mean, it may have been Will, but I couldn't think of a name. And so we just went with something generic. I'm open to suggestions if someone out there has a better name for it. But yeah, I was not, I was not being very creative. The show up north. The show up north. Eh, I don't know. Anything that gives Dan Mullen credence. It's a pretty great name, though. That is a good name. Yeah. Yeah, it's a mailbag edition of Talk of Champions. We've got like 40 questions to get through, so Brian Scott Rippey's going to be the one to help me get through all of them. I'll let him answer all the baseball questions. Ole Miss lost in baseball last night to Southern Miss. Is that a step back after a sweep of Texas A&M? Um, I don't know. That was a game Southern really needed to win for their RPI and their at-large chances. Like They're kind of on the fence in the area to where are they going to have to win their conference tournament to get in? Are they good enough in the RPI to get an at-large? They probably had to win that last night for the latter to be true. So I don't know, a little bit. I feel Zach Phillips was okay. You know, They tied it up late. I mean, what really cost them was losing those midweek games and non-conference games early in the year to where if you lose a tough game like this, it shouldn't hurt you late in the year. But it, it kind of does because, what, there are eight non-conference losses now? Yeah. Yeah, so that just kind of makes – I mean, I still think if they get to 18 wins, that's that's they're hosting. But every conference game they lose, a non-conference game they lose, just makes it even dice here. Um, obviously, they definitely can't afford to lose at Jonesboro next week or in two weeks, whenever that game is. How many do they need to win in Baton Rouge this weekend? Just two or three take the series? Um, I mean, basically what you're looking at for like is just five wins over the next three weekends. However that comes, you would think the answer would obviously be yes, win two out of three this weekend because LSU's kind of limping, like they're not gonna have Eric Walker, which is one of their top freshman arms, is going to was going to be their Friday night guy, um, you know, upon his return from injury. I think this is his second missed start in a row. So you want to take advantage of that because if you don't win two out of three this weekend, you're having to beat Mississippi State at home and then go to Knoxville and win two out of three the last week of the year. And Tennessee's probably fighting for an at-large bid at that point and, and fairly desperate. So, you know, yeah, probably win two out of three because after that it, it would get pretty tough. He's Brian Scott Rippey. He covers Ole Miss for Super Talk at BS Rippey, R-I-P-P-E-E on Twitter. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. It's mailbag time. You've got mail. Special mail for you. This is a letter to Hollywood saying, keep it up. Movies are great. Dipping into the mailbag, the first question from at Jerome underscore Billy. I'll let you answer it, Rippy. Is this the most frustrating Ole Miss baseball team in recent history? If they lose two out of three this weekend, is it time to panic? A lot of layers to that one. Frustrating. I'm not necessarily sure if frustrating is the right word. They're hard to make sense of. I mean, like, I've only done this, what, like, I guess five teams, but this one is by far the most confusing. And, I mean, you've watched it, too. It, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, they, you know, they lose a game to North Alabama and then sweep Florida, and they're just kind of up and down. I still can't figure out what exactly they are. As far as losing two out of three to LSU, I don't think panic because even if even if you don't win the series down there this weekend, all you got to do when I mean, you got to find a way to win four games in the last two weekends, which is 
tougher to do, but not unheard of. So no, I mean, they're sitting at 13 and eight. I'll put it this way. They're at 13 and eight. And last year's team at one point in Columbia, South Carolina, after they lost game two, I think was 12 and 11. Now they've won six of their last seven to kind of put themselves in better position. But no, I mean, as weird as this team is 13 and eight is a better position than the team last year was in around this time. At Tyler underscore Hayes, hypothetical. Ole Miss makes it to the Super Regional Game 3. <laughs> That's a heck of a hypothetical. And you haven't pitched Caracy. Do you start him? He's proved he can throw innings. No, no. You've got a very thin bullpen, a very short bullpen. You can't throw the guy who's been the most valuable for you all year. You just figure it out. You open with Hoglin and back him up with like a Tyler Myers, but you can't throw Caracy at that point. You can't open with him. I don't think so either. I mean – I, I, I suppose there's a scenario where you might, because like to, I think his point is, is you're trying to avoid a Tennessee tech, right? So if you get through the first two games without having thrown Caracy, then maybe I can hear an argument for it, but I would tend to lean towards yes. Oakland opening with Hoagland. I could actually hear an argument for starting with Myers. If Hoagland is kind of yeah. erratic, like he's always been, but starting Caracy and, you know, extending him presumably longer than he's ever gone in his career. That doesn't seem like a smart move, particularly when you can just have him on the back end in that game. So I can hear an argument for Myers, probably not crazy. At Cole Miss 22, I know Mike Bianco will never go for it. He won't. But would Ole Miss baseball be best served to have an opener? Mike Bianco wouldn't go for it. When Hogland pitches, considering he struggles with the top of the order the second time he faces them. I'm a big advanced analytics guy. I'm a big sabermetrics guy. You and I have had many a conversation in the press box, the Ole Miss baseball press box, in regards to this. And I would be all about Ole Miss having an opener to start game three of a series. But in Mike Bianco's perfect world, Gunnar Hogland just starts and he goes as long as he can. Of course, he's got a shorter leash with Gunnar Hogland than any of the other starters. But Mike Bianco is not ever going to go for that, ever. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about the latter part. But to answer that, I guess the first part of the question, yes, because I mean, this came up what late March, like we were talking about this. This would actually be the perfect team yeah. to try that because Hoagland and really Phillips as well, when he was in the Saturday role, struggled to start games. And so if you could kind of get them past the the top to middle of an opponent's order once and let them start with the bottom half, you know, it seemingly. I mean, that would probably work, but yeah, Mike Bianco w- would never go for it. And like you said, in his perfect world, it'd be Hoagland. I mean, but if Hoagland does what he does last weekend, then they're fine. The problem is there's just very little evidence to show that he's going to replicate that, but maybe he's found something who knows. There are a lot of game of Thrones questions, but I'm not going to subject Rippy to those questions. He hadn't even watched game of Thrones. So last night before jumping on the horn today to talk to Rippy with all your old Miss questions, I called up Maester Daniel for a new segment, a new Game of Thrones segment called Maester's Chamber with Maester Daniel, and we answer all your Game of Thrones questions at the end of the podcast. We're going to race through all the Ole Miss ones, and then your Game of Thrones questions will be answered. All right, Rebel Fan 68 in your opinion, how does Longo fare with Brown at North Carolina? Does Brown regret the choice at the end of the season? I think Phil Longo is going to do what he always does, and that's put up a lot of big numbers, but there are going to be glaring holes in his offensive philosophy specifically 20 and in. And do I think Mac Brown could regret it? I don't think Mac Brown is to the point where he's any way advanced as far as the way college football has, has gotten. So as long as he sees numbers, he can be like, oh, it's, it's okay. It's good. You know, I think Mac Brown is just so out of touch with college football that it won't matter. He's going to think his offense is fine. As long as Mac Brown wins, what, six games a year, North Carolina is going to be fine. Rebel Fan 68 sounds like a guy that created his account and saw that Rebel Fan 69 was taken and just deleted his digit off. <laughs> but that's a good question. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't. I, so we've tried to we brought this hire, like we brought this up on our show a couple times. I can't figure out the justification for that hire, and it makes me think that Mac Brown is just kind of cashing a check at this job. Like he's kind of like not really like it's like the senior citizen who like works at a bookstore or whatever yeah. is like a little part time job because there's no justification for this, right? You remember that story that came out where the the Bowling Green athletic director wanted an offense that was good, so he just Googled the top offensive numbers and hired someone from Texas Tech yeah. staff or something. Do you remember that story? Yes. Like, I would like to think long, like someone actually put like Mac Brown in front of a computer and was like, Google away, and that's how he found Longo. I don't get it. What happened was is he bailed out Matt Luke for making the decision he didn't want to make. He didn't want to fire Phil Longo. He wasn't going to fire Phil Longo. Phil Longo was going to leave for another job. And once all those head coaching opportunities were exhausted and he didn't get any of them, it was starting to get a little hairy as to whether or not Matt Luke was really going to have to say, no, we're keeping him. We're going to let him be the office coordinator for another year because he didn't want to have to make that decision. He didn't want to have to cut ties with that money and all that. So Phil Longo and Mac Brown bailed Ole Miss out by him getting that job. He wasn't really up for other offensive coordinator jobs. Now, he was up for an offensive coordinator job with South Carolina last year and Matt Luke fought for him, but this year, hoping another school would come get him. And yeah, North Carolina bailed him out. Yeah, you just hit on probably the most interesting part of how that would have played out. Like, like when it came down to it, say Longo doesn't get a job anywhere else. I mean, you have to make the decision to move on from him, do you not? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think he would at the end of the day would have had to, but like you said, helped him out. They would have probably framed it as a mutual parting of ways, but it wouldn't have been. Yeah, that's, that's a textbook mutual parting of ways. Yeah. At RZ Wig, Ryan Wiggins. So with 12 regular season games, do you take the over or under for hearing Matt Luke say blue-collared, hard-nosed football if set it at 24? Oh, over. Over. You could have you, – it wouldn't have mattered what number he threw out. I would yeah. have said over. But 24, that's easy. Yeah, over. 100%. Yeah. 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 If you throw hard-nosed in there too, you could go to like 100. And when he says really, really, not just really, <laughs> really, really. That's when it's you know it's serious. enthusiastic, man. That's when you know it's serious. If it's really, really <laughs> serious. Jared Robinson at Jared underscore R25. Do you think Carlos Curry will play next year? I do. Even if they do add side, does he still need more time to develop? No, I think he's playing. I think he's going to be a rotational piece in an ideal world. Now, Cy, there's another question about him. Um, I think right now his recruitment is completely up in the air, but Carlos Curry, with or without Kadeem Cy, is going to play. And there's a belief, at least from the Ole Miss coaching staff, whether warranted or not, but far be it for me for, to question their evaluation, that Carlos Curry will be far better than whoever their number two big was last year, probably toward the end of the year, Dominic Olenicek. Yeah, I think you nailed on it in an ideal – like you nailed it with the ideal world he's a rotational player because I think they want to lean on him, but I don't think they want to lean on him too much. So, yeah, I think he plays. I think he's a rotational player. And probably worst-case scenario, they have to lean on him a little more heavily than that. Um but as far as like, yeah, them, him being better than the number two last year, I mean, with respect to Dom, that's a fairly low bar, is it not? Yeah, especially end of the year, Dom. And I still, even having heard the rationale, can't figure out why they started him in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I, I'll never get that moving. But you bring up a decent point. It's like the first, like, I mean, November, December, Dom was actually not bad. He was like giving them enough to justify the minutes he was playing. Yeah. And then the last really just two and a half months were – were a downhill slide. And yeah, particularly with uh, as small as Oklahoma's bigs were, I I, I don't get it. I, I I mean, I could, I kind of understand the argument, but you can't tell me he offers more than Bruce or maybe like, is it who offers like 
less? I, I, I have no idea. At least I, I Bruce could that. score. The problem is, is that neither one of those bigs could guard an athletic, small front line of Oklahoma. Neither one of them could keep their player in front of them. They couldn't defend him. So I guess you go with the one defensive potential presence or what he's supposed to be, a default rim protector. He wasn't, but you knew that he could hedge ball screens well and do some things to help you. But I would have gone for the offensive upside. It didn't really matter. Ultimately, the one thing everybody knew was going to be a problem was a much bigger problem than we even anticipated. Yeah, I think it got undersold a little bit, like masked by Oklahoma's like inconsistency in the Big 12. But like the matchup-wise, it was an awful matchup. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. I still thought they were going to win, but once they came out and fell behind 12 to 1, you n- you never really see NCAA tournament games that are over within two and a half minutes. No, and like the, the it was just kind of the guards ran out of gas towards the end of the year. I mean, you knew what you were going to get or not get, for the lack of a better phrase, from the bigs. It just seemed like the guard play kind of regressed a little bit in the last two weeks. Yeah, that was the real problem. Frank Tarantina? At Frank underscore Tarantina. I Sorry, I mispronounced your name. How many season tickets were sold in football this year? I talked to Ross Bjork at the Tupelo Rebel Road Trip stop, and I asked him specifically about it, and he didn't know the exact number, or he was playing possum with me. Either way, I kept going up on numbers. I'd say 21, oh, over. 22, oh, over. 23, over. So at least over 23,000, they're going to be down, but they're certainly better than they were, which was when Ross was last on this podcast, he said at like 11, 12,000. Do you know season ticket numbers? I do not know season ticket numbers, um, but that would sound right. I mean, the 11, it's got to be a better than 11, 12, right? And yeah. the only way this thing's going to spike back up is if they win. Like for all the other kind of noise, like with the administration and some of the off the field stuff, the ultimate deciding factor is, is if they win and if they look better doing it, the season ticket sales will go back up. That's really the ultimate remedy. At Rebel Roadrunner, what is your favorite position to play in road to the show and why? Shortstop. Has the most action, and I like to hit. I don't like to be a pitcher. Do you play road to the show? Do you Man, know? I played road to the show way back when on my PSP when I was a kid. Do you remember the little PlayStation portables? Yeah. Yeah, I played road to the show on that a lot, and I'd probably actually agree with shortstop, but really anywhere in the infield, like you get action. I, the, the pitcher was boring. Hitting yeah. was the funnest part. I like to hit bombs. I like to hit taters. That's what I want to do. I like to yeah. pimp my home runs. That game was awesome. Yeah, I hadn't bought the latest edition yet only because I'm mad at the Braves and I always want to play for the Braves. I don't ever want to play for, like, the Blue Jays. It just bores me. At Nate underscore Bloomberg, crayons, markers, or colored pencils? Um, Crayons. You can eat them, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What a strange question. I guess I'll go crayons. Yeah, I think I can do crayons. I, I use a lot of crayons. I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, and they like to color, and they always use crayons. You can... Be more versatile with crayons than you can anything else. And colored pencils break too easily. Markers, they, they're messy. I'm not a big marker guy. Markers read, bleed, and you get more cover color variety with the crayons. Definitely crayons. Yeah, yeah, it's crayons. At Reed R85, in your opinion, which freshman, sophomore football player has the largest impact on this year's team? Matt Corral excluded. Oh, I'm going to go easily Elijah Moore. Yeah, that's a good one. Because I think one. he's going to be kind of a, a safety blanket crutch, whatever you want to call it, to get the ball out of Corral's hands out of the slot fairly quickly. I think that's him. You can make an argument for Tylen Knight, too, yep. but I think it's Elijah Moore. Mine was going to be Tylen Knight. I think the way that, in which they're going to use him. He started the first seven practices of spring as a strictly running back, and then the last handful of practices of spring, they played him in the slot at receiver just to see what they could get, and he 
excelled at both. I think they're going to let him wear a number of hats. He could even return kicks and punts. I think Tyler Knight will have the ball in his hand so much that he'll certainly make that type of impact. Defensively, I'm trying to think of a player that could have that type of impact, and I don't think any of them will have the same type of impact as an offensive player. But if I had to pick a defensive player, maybe T. Tisdale, maybe Keydron Smith. Yeah, like the, to me, the defensive impact player like doesn't qualify for this because it's probably Williams, right? But he's not a so- freshman or sophomore. So I was struggling to find a young guy, too, on the defensive side. It's probably Keydron Smith. I think that's a good one. He's probably going to start, isn't he? You would think with how much they lost in the secondary. Like, I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like yet because it is like May, but I would think so. I think he's probably going to start. Yeah, he's probably going to start. If he doesn't start, it'd be surprising at this point. He fits what Mike McIntyre wants at cornerback, those long cornerbacks. He even said that on the Rubble Hotline recently. So, at RebelFan68, worst loss slash best win this decade in Ole Miss Big Three sports. Oh, God, best wins. The Sugar Bowl for football. Yeah, I was thinking Sugar Bowl or like – so Sugar Bowl was probably the longest lasting, but like one of the two wins against Alabama because at the time it just like particularly the second one just kind of vaulted the program into like a different air nationally. But yeah, Sugar Bowl would probably be the most memorable. Yeah, it's the biggest one. 2014 Ole Miss, Alabama at home certainly was significant and you could say is the best win. So I'd say that's the best win. As far as basketball is concerned, in the last decade – Beating Florida in the SEC tournament to win. Yeah, it's like the lasting image of Henderson doing the Gator Chomp, like up and down the court, and everyone going nuts in Nashville. That's that's got to be it. That or Wisconsin. Yeah, beating Wisconsin wasn't to me as big of a feat accomplishment as beating Florida. I think they were better than Wisconsin, even though they were the twelve and Wisconsin was the five. Baseball, it's winning in Lafayette, first Omaha appearance since the seventies. Yeah, one hundred percent. Perdzok double, triple, or whatever it was. Like that's kind of an the image cemented in most people's heads. That's what kind of broke the door down. Definitely that night. The worst loss in football is easy. It's Arkansas. It's the fourth and 25. That's easily the worst loss. Yeah, because you go to Atlanta if that didn't happen. <laughs> you play in the SEC title game. That's Yeah, that's that's definitely definitely the worst loss. An utter sneaky undercover one that you probably can't consider the best for football, but the 2012 Egg Bowl was fairly impactful with kind of the overall momentum with the program. That's true. You don't win that, you don't go to a bowl. You don't go to a bowl, it becomes a little hairier with Robert Kimdichie, Tony Connor, Laquan Treadwell. They turned your entire program around. And they're in the room for that pregame speech and all that, a couple of them. Like that was very tactical by Freeze to like name the states where they need help from or whatever they whatever he said, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. 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 The worst loss in basketball, sticking with 2013. I'll never forget it. Going to Starkville and losing to that Mississippi State basketball team and throwing their NCAA resume into disarray. That team was garbage. I think they were 240-something in the RPI, and that's back when the RPI meant more than anything else, and they went and lost. Inexplicably bad loss. What about in baseball? It's got to be Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech game two. I can't even think of a close second in either one of those. Like, because basketball that year you had the state loss and then the bad loss at South Carolina. Like, with, weren't they close to each other? And that really kind of threw their entire trajectory in disarray. State was definitely the worst loss for baseball. It's got to be Tennessee Tech, right? I mean, I, I I can't really think of anything else. I mean, because that year they didn't get out of their own regional in sixteen. That team wasn't supposed to be that good, and they got screwed by their their four seed was Pac-12 champion Utah. So I can't really fault him as much for that. It's got to be Tennessee Tech. It's Tennessee Tech. At Jenny underscore Moyer, I want to know your position on Captain Marvel slash Brie Larson. I find her unpalatable. 
look, Brie Larson is a great actress. The Room is a great movie, but as Captain Marvel, she just doesn't do it for me. Captain Marvel is every bit the beast superhero of Superman, stronger even than Superman, and yet has no personality with Brie Larson. She's boring. She has no charisma, completely uncharismatic. She's not Shuri. She's not Pepper Potts. She's not Okoye. She's not even Black Widow for me. Yeah, Brie, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel was a disappointment, only because I find her incredibly boring. At RebelFan68, again, good grief, RebelFan68. If you were AD and were told you only had 35 scholarships total for the big three sports, how would you disperse? You have to go 22 for football, so seven for basketball and six for baseball, but can baseball get by with six? The answer would be no, but like, I don't know. I don't think you can do anything else because like you said, you got to go 22 for football, seven for basketball and like no baseball wouldn't probably be able to get by on six. But like, if you only got 35, what would you do? That would be pretty, pretty depressing scenario for the athletic department. I need starters for both sides of the ball for football and basketball. I got the five starters, but I need two guys who can actually make up a rotation. Almost basically had a seven-man rotation last year, and one of those was a walk-on, former walk-on at D.C. Davis. So, yeah, they need seven. Baseball would get shortchanged there. Good luck, baseball, with six scholarships to deal with. Rebel Fan 68 again. If you could take one piece of memorabilia for a collection from the past five Ole Miss football coaches, including Luke, what would it be? Oh, good grief. We could go a lot of ways with this one. Oh, good grief. I guess with Hugh Freeze, it would be a can of snuff that he tried to hide. I was going to go visor. Yeah, that's good. Houston Nuts, you go the straw hat. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got to go the straw hat. Or maybe what? what he a vest guy in practice? Didn't he? Wouldn't he rock those occasionally? I was thinking straw hat or like a vest. He wore a baseball cap one game. It was bizarre. That became the story of the game. He was on the sidelines wearing a baseball cap, and it looked so strange. So maybe that. As far as David Cutcliffe, anything that has to do with Eli Manning's recruitment. <laughs> Whatever that is. I agree with that. And then Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville. He wore a really cool Ole Miss vest, a retro vest that was like red or white. It had the Ole Miss script on the pocket. I would take that from Tommy Tuberville. I would go with him. I think that's five coaches. Eh, whatever. We're going to say it is. Ryan Wiggins at RZ Wig. Being what we have seen so far in Major League Baseball, where do the Braves finish in the division in the postseason? I think they're a 500 baseball team because the bullpen's so bad. They have the best offense in Major League Baseball according to every reasonable statistic. But I think the Phillies are going to win the division. I don't think the wild card team is coming out of the NL East, so I don't think they're making the postseason. I really don't. I don't think they did enough in the offseason to separate themselves. At drum underscore Billy, do you think Laquan and Robert Kimdichie will get their five-year contracts picked up? Well, Laquan's has already been declined, so that one's done. Robert, I think he's, his gets picked up. He had a really good year last year. If he can stay healthy, he was on the right trajectory for them. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your modern woodman representative. It wasn't so long ago, I'm talking a couple of months, where financially I needed some help. Not that I was struggling, but getting my finances in order, organizing my money so that I'm in the best position for retirement, preparing for college for my kids, and everything else. I'm sure most every one of you can relate. And that's why you should do like me and contact Thomas Chandler today. He's your local Modern Woodman representative, and he'll get you right for retirement or savings or whatever you need. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. What does Modern Woodman do, though, you might ask? Financial security for you and your family through life insurance, financial planning, and financial services. Quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities. And community impact through volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. It's time to get rid of your financial burden. 
Contact Thomas Chandler, 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Or you can check them out at www.modernwoodman.org. www.modernwoodman.org. That's Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. The podcast is also brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The car buying process can be overwhelming. Believe me, I've been there recently. And you're just looking to get the best deal. And if that's the case, to avoid the headache, head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell right now. So you, the consumer, need to make sure you're taking advantage of all the deals available to you from Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. And what separates Alan Samuels is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk a Champion sent you. They're hardcore Ole Miss fans, and they'll want to talk some Ole Miss baseball, basketball, spring football just wrapped up. Football coming up in the fall, and of course, Ole Miss football and basketball recruiting. But above all else, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible and get you what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. 662-234-8000. Stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford today. That's just past Kroger, Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Allen Samuels, let's be friends. At RebelFan68 again with the talent on last year's team. Is the football record different if Rich Rodriguez is the offensive coordinator instead of Phil Longo? Yes. They don't lose to South Carolina. They probably don't lose to Vanderbilt. And with the way the defense played over its head in the first half at Auburn, you at least have a shot there. I'm not going to give them that game, but yeah, the record's definitely different. Has to be. Has to be. Phil Longo was, I think we can all agree at this point, a disappointment at best. And It was malpractice. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. Yeah, you're right. At Boyd ZJ1234, anything to the Malik Heath offer? He's very interested, and he's a 100% take for Ole Miss. I would think Mississippi State, who signed him out of high school, still has the inside track for him, but he's certainly infatuated with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, and he's fully aware of the track record of wide receivers at Ole Miss compared to Mississippi State. But how deep those roots are at Mississippi State, I don't know. So Ole Miss has a shot. He's coming in visiting, I think, in the summer. So, yes, there is something to the Malik Heath offer. At Landscape Kyle, who wins money in the bank? Oh, God. He's talking about wrestling. I'm sure you have so many thoughts on that, Rippy. I do. I have a lot to add. I have to get back to you. Yeah. I have to really think that one through. <laughs> um, Ali. Ali's going to win money in the bank. Cully Connor, at C underscore Con 88. Without beating the dead horse, what is your vibe on Cy? You mentioned other options if he doesn't end up here. What are your chances for each of the other prospects to end up at Ole Miss? I think Franklin from Holmes Community College would be the most realistic option should they not land side. My current vibe on Cy is a complete toss-up. I don't know. Um, the Will Wade stuff is fascinating. Even more is coming out in the last week or so that leads you to believe that something's going to happen there eventually. Uh, and they're also recruiting a five-star prospect to his position. They are both take Cy and this other player, Warford, I think it is. But um, for Ole Miss, Cy is the number one clear and away option there to fill their final spot in the spring. I'd say right now, Ole Miss is probably at, what, 35 40%. LSU probably 35 40%, and the rest are kind of jockeying for third. Anyone that says that Ole Miss is not the main competition for LSU right now, I think, um, doesn't know what they're talking about. What do you think about that right now? I would agree with that assessment. Probably a toss-up, and definitely with LSU. The Will Wade stuff really is fascinating, though, because, like, it's looking – 
Like, I can't decide if, if the all these ADs have just decided that nothing's going to come from this because the fact that Sean Miller still has a job and Will Wade still has a job and a couple of these other guys still have a job tells me that that's their thinking. But I, I just have a hard time picturing him on the sidelines for their opener next year. I could be wrong, though. I don't know how the NCAA is going to police it. They're completely selective. That's how they always have been. The evidence is so overwhelming that you have to do something. But what are you really going to do? I think ultimately, and I think this is what LSU and Arizona are betting on, that the NCAA is going to go, oh, well, it's out of our hands. It's out of our hands. This is an FBI thing. We just enforce, blah, blah, blah. They're going to make some excuse to wash their hands of it. I think that's what they're betting on. And if you made me bet on it, I would bet that that's what the end result ultimately is. It's yeah. It feels like either because they don't even have anyone present at these trials. Like right. if you pretend to gave like half a half of a damn about anything, you'd have some intern there, like at least just pretending pretending to scribble notes or something. So it's either going to like the schools are betting on that they do nothing. Like in perfect NTA fashion, I think they take one school and single them out. It just completely botch that entire investigation and punishment. And I think that might be LSU. That's yep. my bold prediction. Yep. 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 Jason Brooks at Jason L. Brooks. How about greatest football revs at each jersey number? Start with one through ten. I realize it would take far too long for one podcast. Yes, it would. But maybe do other number groupings for future pods slash fun articles if you need some fillers. All right, one through ten, I can do this. One, Laquan Treadwell, maybe Eddie Strong. Two would be Mike Wallace, Ronnie Hurd, Lanier Gothy. Probably pick Mike Wallace. Three, Shea Hodge. Four is probably Denzel Kimdichie because who else are you going to say? Jevin Sneed, Omar Rayford. Five, Robert Kizichi. Yes, Sneed. That one year was amazing. It was amazing. The sophomore year, he really came on, was projected by Todd McShay after the way he closed out his sophomore year to be the first overall pick in the draft the next year. That's how good he was, and then he completely fell apart. Five would be Robert Kimdichi. He was an All-American. Six, Jalen Walton. Maybe towards Mm. Sanford. You can't forget his touchdown against Alabama in 2001, but who else wore number six that would get that number? That produced like Jalen Walton. I can't think of anyone else. Exactly. Because I wasn't thrilled to put Jalen in there. Great player, all-time great, but I can't think of a six who wore six. That was as good as him. Seven would be Trey Elston, right? Now, I'm a new Albanian. I'm always going to shout out Eli Anding, but Trey Elston has to be seven. Definitely Trey Elston. Eight would be Chris Collins. Nine would be Rufus French. He was a tight end All-American. And ten, this is the tough one, Eli Manning or Chad Kelly? I'm probably going to go the unpopular out here. I'd probably go Chad Kelly. That's not unpopular on this podcast. That guy did more. He was asked to do more, particularly in 16, than anyone else in the country in that offense, and he was a baller every time he laced it up. He was a gamer. Now, he always wanted you to know, I'm studying film. I'm studying film. I studied film today. I took my tablet to breakfast and studied film. We get it. You studied film. You study a lot of it. You don't have to tell us, man. But he was a gamer. Yeah, that guy could ball. He was a lot of fun to watch. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-thru, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney's Pharmacy. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Beham Ole Miss Club, 
Barry on HBO, best show on TV, in my opinion. I would agree, outside of Game of Thrones, obviously, but it's my second favorite show. Thoughts on this season? It's strange. They're trying to grow the world out in Barry. I thought last year, the season that they had, the 10-run arc for Barry was perfect. It should have been a one-season show because it ended so perfectly. But they've done a pretty good job of expanding the universe. And last episode, I know a lot of people didn't like it, thought it was too weird. I thought it was brilliant. It was dark, black comedy at its best. And I really like what they're trying to do with Barry. No longer is he simply someone you absolutely despise because he's a piece of shit, but now they're actually making him into something that you can be somewhat sympathetic toward. Now you still think he sucks, but you can at least be sympathetic towards him. Hunter Kenneberg, if Ole Miss beats Memphis, what's your outlook for the 2019 season based only on that win? If you beat Memphis, like you're not going three and nine, two and 10 more than likely. So I'll go if they beat Memphis five and seven. So you don't think they can win six and get to a ball? No, I think they can. But if I can only judge it off Memphis, like, like I don't think that alone vaults them to like an easy path to six wins. I think it's possible. I think I, I guess what I'm saying is I think if they beat Memphis, they at least get to five. If you beat Memphis and Arkansas, I think you're on your way. Yeah, if you gave me the next one too, which is Arkansas and Cal or the other kind of what what happens there. Yeah, if you go if you give me Memphis and Arkansas, I'd probably say six. I don't think that they can go any higher than six. I don't think they're winning seven. I think six is pretty much it. Either six they'd or have nothing. To, they'd have to get they'd have to yeah, they'd have to beat someone they're really not supposed to for that to for for them to get higher than six. I would agree with that. I can actually see them being better this year than last year and still not winning as many games. I would actually definitely agree with that because if they had last year's schedule, you could actually make an argument for seven. If all the teams turned out to be as good slash bad as they were, like you could make an argument for seven with last year's schedule, not this year's. Hunter Kinneberg, second part of his question, if Endgame, speaking of Avengers, which I'm sure Rippy has seen, is fair game, explain what you like, disliked about the film. Here's the thing. Unlike Game of Thrones, I can't get in the weeds about Avengers because I liked it, regardless of the problems it had. I'm not going to get into the weeds about it. I'm actually seeing it for a second time today with a friend who hasn't seen it, needed somebody to go with him, someone to go. Maybe then I'll be ready to nitpick it, but I don't want to. I loved it. It gave me exactly what I needed because I don't care emotionally as much about the Avengers and the Marvel movies as I do Game of Thrones. I love them. I've seen them all, but I don't get emotionally attached to character and plot and internal logic and coherence. I don't care that much with the Avengers, but I do care with Game of Thrones. So I don't want to get in the weeds too much, Hunter. Now, After my second viewing tonight, if I still have problems with it, or if those problems are more glaring, I'll come on the podcast and break them down for you. Mike McNatt, what is your top-end guess how the baseball team finishes? Ooh, I think I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think they get to 18, and I think they... I'll say host. I'm waffling back and forth from like a really strong two seed to host, but I think they get to 18 because I think LSU is a bit of a lame duck, and if you get two there, then the path really kind of opens up. So I'll give them 18, and I'll give them hosting. So you expect them to host. Do you think they're still going to get there somehow? Yeah, I do because I just – I don't see them getting shut out as a host at 18 wins. I could be wrong, and I, I think for, for whatever reason, I actually think they do go down there in Baton Rouge and win two or three this weekend with the way LSU – because they're going to be better than LSU on Friday night, probably even a little bit better than them on Saturday with Nikhazy going against Eric Walker. And Sunday's kind of a toss-up. So, yeah, I'll give them if, – if they get two in Baton Rouge, I'd definitely like them to host. You know far better than me, LSU. Is LSU good? Can we call them good? 
Um, they've been a, they've been similar to Ole Miss in some ways. That they're thirteen and eight. You don't really know how they're sitting at thirteen and eight. They've had some pitching injuries. I don't think their staff is near as good as Ole Miss's, and the offense is probably not as good. So LSU is good, but not like I'd, I'd put them in the strong two seed range. I don't think LSU will end up hosting. That's kind of my hot take. Could be wrong though. Ole Miss never wins at LSU. It feels like. They never get swept and they never lose. They haven't won at LSU since 1983. Oh, boy. At Jared Joel, let's just pretend this whole NCAA thing never happened, this NCAA thing. You know that that thing that kind of happened for six years? Do we have a championship by now? 2015, they would have had more reinforcements coming, would have been able to add more that recruiting cycle to help with what they already had, which was a national championship caliber team. They could have beaten anybody, anybody you put in front of them, by the end of that season, the Sugar Bowl season I'm talking about, so 2014-15, they still lost to Florida and Memphis inexplicably. I think with more reinforcements, they don't lose one of those two games, and if they don't lose one of those two games, they go to the SEC championship game against Florida, beat the crap out of Florida, and then face somebody in the national championship. So I'd say, yeah. That team, that 15 team beat Alabama, LSU, and Auburn and didn't win the West. How do you do that? Because you're Ole Miss. Because <laughs> you lose to Arkansas, Florida, and Memphis. I know Memphis obviously didn't have any connotations to the West, but just what a strange year. That's probably the most old Miss year ever. They were 7-1 and one in the junior year of Eli, or senior year of Eli. Whenever they faced off with LSU, it was the senior year. It was 2003. And they were 7-1 and one in the West and didn't win the West. Why? Because they lost to the one team they couldn't lose to, and that was LSU. Who, was the, who had the pick six at the beginning of the game, and I was like, this is it, they're going to do Travis it? Travis Johnson. Yep, that that stadium was deafening too when that happened. Were you there? Yeah, I was like what eight or nine. I was there, and that was even with like all the new renovations. That might be the loudest I've ever heard that place. I was on the fifty yard line, and when Travis Johnson took in that interception, I said, "It's, it's happening. This is going to happen." And then Jonathan Nichols, who won the Lou Gro- Groza Award, missed two <laughs> field goals. Did he have like a broken toe or something, or is that just care. an excuse? No, it's an excuse. I don't care. I don't care. He made his field goals in the Cotton Bowl. I don't care. Jared Robinson, at Jared underscore R25. Seems like Plumley is too athletic to keep off the field, even with the Corral starting. Could we see him work in the slot or other creative ways to get him on the field for the 2019 season? He's going to start at quarterback, but it wouldn't surprise me because he's just as good defensively to see him get tried at defensive back if they need somebody there, knowing that he's going to be a quarterback by the end of his career, unless, of course, he sticks at safety, he starts at some point in his true freshman season. I think they could try him defensively if they need some help. But other than that, I don't know. Maybe some packages to help him? I, I don't know. I think they're going to start him at quarterback, but most everyone except for the kid knows that his future is on defense. So we're calling him a quarterback now. I don't think he's a quarterback. We'll see. He's a perfect fit for Rich Rod. But if he wants to play and play now, they could use him at safety. I would agree with that. I mean, how they had to try Tyler Knight back there with the injuries last year. Armani Whitman started like three or four games. Oh, God. I forgot about that. Then he got hurt too, right? Or that was Custis. Custis was the one that got hurt that really kind of put them in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Custis actually is a very important piece to this defense. He's played a lot of games, and when he's played and been on the field and been healthy, he's been productive. They need yeah, no, he was good when he was when he's healthy, like you said. But yeah, that's how Plumlee could get on the field creatively. Delta Don at Delta D Rebel Don, not Don, Don. Did slash R we recruiting Dexter McCluster's cousin? Yes, but he prefers Florida State right now. Tom Chandler at Sun N21. I often hear that Ole Miss is at a disadvantage where scholarships are concerned, 
Please explain the situation and how it differs from SEC schools. Every SEC school has 11.7 scholarships to give. We're speaking about baseball. But Florida, for example, all in-state kids can go to college for free, basically as long as they meet some academic requirements. So they don't have to use baseball scholarships on those kids. Therefore, that allows Florida to use its allotted scholarships on out-of-state prospects. Vanderbilt is private, so they can give scholarships to whoever the hell they want to for whatever reason. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Alabama, Auburn, and I think Missouri, Rippey can correct me if I'm wrong, don't have that same benefit. Arkansas, any state that touches Arkansas, out-of-state tuition is waived. So Kansas, Texas, et cetera, and that's significant. Out-of-state tuition is a chunk of what these kids have to pay. So that's the whole deal. It's a big disadvantage for Ole Miss, though, isn't it? Oh, it's huge. And then you nailed it. And then LSU and Georgia, of course, have like the state lottery programs or whatever. So it's a huge disadvantage. That's why, honestly, one of the more underrated accomplishments for all of the guys' flaws in in Ole Miss athletics is Bianco signing the number one class in the country in 16 or whatever that was with 11.7 scholarships. That's incredibly hard to do. But, yeah, it's a huge disadvantage. Uh, You got guys on – Vanderbilt, you know, LSU and Arkansas. I mean, can you imagine if they had double the amount of scholarship players? That, like, yeah, of course, it's a gigantic disadvantage. If Ole Miss doesn't make it to Omaha with the number one class, how big of a disappointment let down is that? This one's always tough because, like, the to me, su- like the super regional, like the, that should be the goal is to get to supers because if you play a 56-game season and it all comes down to a two out of three – that's kind of a crapshoot. And obviously, if you get to enough supers, you're going to luck your way into to a couple of Omaha trips. So I don't know if it's the fact – like it's definitely a disappointment. But I think more so the disappointment would be would they only won like X amount of postseason games and only got out of their own regional once. And that's if that's assuming they get to a super. So I don't know if it's the sheer fact that they didn't get to Omaha, but it's just the fact that they didn't do more in the postseason in general. At the Stephen Willis, he had a Game of Thrones question. Maester Daniel coming up in just a minute. But the second one, would you prefer next year's offense to be something other than TD Corral? Of course. If I had it my way, I want to see Thunder and Lightning, Scotty Phillips, and Jerrion Ely. Jerrion Ely is the most exciting thing potentially about the offense next year if he makes it to campus. Yeah, I would think so too. I'm not sure how likely that is, but that would that would change the dynamic of their entire offense if that happened. I think Baseball America recently projected Jerrion Ely to make it to Ole Miss. If he does, what does he mean for baseball? Does he start? I don't I, see I, that's so hard to project because I never know what that looks like when the, when kids try to play two sports there just because of time commitments and interest and things like that. So I would think yes, but I, I I don't know I don't know what that looks like yet. I'd have to figure out more once he got to campus. Um, but I saw Keith Law projected him as like the top like the 18th ranked prospect regardless of position. That makes me think he might not be here. Yeah, I still don't think he makes it. But I think there's a much greater chance now than there was when we first started weighing this possibility when he signed in February. The closer, I 100% agree with that. The closer they get to the draft, the closer it feels like Jerry Ely is to getting Ole Miss. And if he gets to Ole Miss, I think it's going to be a Kyler Murray-type situation to where he's going to be so good in football, he's going to end his baseball career effectively. I would agree with that. So, I mean, if you do get him, it's a gigantic win just because, yeah, it probably turns into that. But, I mean – them signing him helps the numbers, and you know, signing him, you have a better chance of getting him than if you didn't, obviously. At Greg's Greg Greg, you thinking about selling merch anytime soon? No, I don't know who would want it other than you, Greg. But if others decide they want some shirts, we can make some um, shirts from Contrell's time here. We could 
make some shirts for Godfrey's time, Rippy's time. If anybody's interested in that, we could do it. But tell me what. How about you some want. Ole Miss spirit pants? Oh God. I'm not a pants guy. <laughs> Can you imagine just the spirit logo dotted all over some trousers? I'd probably rock that. I remember one day Jeff Robertson, who used to work with us at the Ole Miss Spirit, came into the office one day with some shirts, some Ole Miss Spirit shirts he'd made for us to wear because he felt like we needed to be represented wherever we went, be it at a media opportunity, SEC Media Days, whatever. And he gave me these shirts, and I looked at them, and it was this Ole Miss Spirit logo in the pocket – and it's a collared shirt. And I'm like, read the room, dude. Chuck, look at Chuck. Do you think Chuck's going to wear this? You've seen me. I wear pullovers. <laughs> Do you think this is something I'm going to wear? And Jeff was like, oh, I just think it'd be good for us. Read the room, man. Come on. You worked in the spirit office. Do you th- see me wearing collared Ole Miss spirit shirts to, I don't know, a baseball opportunity? No, but maybe you could make some for the cats around that place. Yeah, Chuck does have some cats. At Greg's Greg Greg, any news on Kadeem Sai? No, other than he's going on his visits like I told you he was going to be doing. He's going to LSU, probably going to go to Arkansas, and then he'll make a decision. At Greg's Greg Greg, you going to finish the Harry Potter books when Game of Thrones is done? I'm going to read Game of Thrones first, finish reading Game of Thrones. I read the first book and a half, and I'm going to finish Game of Thrones, and then I'm going to finish Harry Potter. At Greg's Greg Greg, you probably think I'm the biggest nerd ever, don't you? I actually liked Harry Potter, but when I was a kid, for whatever reason, I stopped reading the books after the fifth one. So that's actually a really good idea. I might go back and finish the Harry Potters. I would have never predicted that you read Harry Potter. Never. That was about the only one of that genre I I dove into. Like, I'm not a Thrones guy. I never really got into Lord of the Rings, but I found Harry Potter interesting. You never read Tolkien? No, never read it. I saw the movies and they were fine. You're not a big fantasy guy then, just in general. Um, no, not, not really. I like, I don't hate on it because like, like when I put on Twitter and Game of Thrones, Twitter taking over, I might as well have set my settings to Portuguese. It's an entirely different world. So anything, anybody that can write something that can influence that many people, like Bravo, it's a masterpiece. I just haven't gotten into it. And it's more so that I was late to the party than I'm not interested. What's your favorite movie of all time? Somebody said, okay, you're stranded on a desert island. You get one movie, one book and one television show. What are you picking? Oh God! Um, Mine's easy. I know mine. Favorite movie? Mine's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's a really good one. I almost said that. I really. This is a terrible choice in terms of like the quality, but for whatever reason, I have a soft spot for The Hangovers. Those movies make me laugh every single time I watch them. The Hangover two and three are absolute trash, Rippy. They're trash. I like. I like two, do not like three. Three was kind of dumb. Um, but yeah, I would agree. But still, just the first two are so hilarious to me. I, I could watch them a hundred times. What's your favorite book? Ooh. Hmm. You probably don't read very much. I don't read as many books as I should. I read a lot of like long form articles, but books wise, Andre Agassi's book was really good. Oh. Um, his life was very fascinating. His dad was a maniac. I found that to be interesting. I'd probably say that, but that's a recency bias thing. I got done with that not too long ago. Okay, and what about the TV show? What's your favorite TV show? What do you watch? The Office. That's okay. a generic answer, but no, like that's you could watch that so many times. Except season eight. <laughs> yeah, but at that point, it's like such just like a novelty that you just kind of throw season eight in. You're like, all right, I'll accept this, even though it's not as good. It was simple, and they didn't go for the obvious. They should have made Dwight Schrute the manager. 
period. God, that would have been awesome. Yeah, it was great in the final two episodes when he was the manager. It it worked. They were so afraid of making a secondary character into the main character, but it would have worked. Instead, they went with Andy Bernard, who was completely unlikable. It was dumb. At Greg's Greg Greg, you paying attention to international soccer at all? No, I'm not. Are you? No, I don't. I don't hate soccer. Like Me I'll watch either. it when the World Cup's on. I yeah. think it's cool. But like I, I'm not. Go, I'm not ever going out of my way to watch a soccer match, particularly not something overseas. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm not in soccer that way. At West Sparkman, your opinion on Walter in NXT UK, the future champ or the future goat? I predict my opinion on Walter is he's awesome. But if he ever gets on the main brand, they'll find a way to botch him. And they'll find a way to tell really uninteresting stories. Look what they've done with Braun Strowman, who was hotter than he could have ever been last year. And then they decided inexplicably to make him into a cowardly hill. And it's absolutely tanked Braun Strowman. So I love Walter. What I want Walter to do is never come overseas and let Vince get his hands on them. Lest we forget about the Viking experience. I'm sure you're absolutely fascinated by wrestling conversation. I've never even like like I've never watched wrestling to the point to where I could decide if I didn't like it. So it's mostly just ignorance for me. I would be kind of fascinated to maybe sit down and like have someone explain wrestling to me and just see if it caught on. This is a great idea. I, the next time I go to Monday Night Raw in Memphis, I'm going to buy you a ticket and you can just go with me. I would actually be up for that because you talk about like the closest thing to sticking an alien in the situation with knowing absolutely nothing with regards to anything, like just complete ignorance. I'm as close as you'll probably find. Bennett Hip was just like that, and he went to Raw with me one night and had an absolute blast. I'm down to go. I'm in. Okay. I'm going to take Brian Scott Rippey to a wrestling show. <laughs> That's what's been accomplished today on Talk of Champions. So well done, Wes Sparkman. Well done. At Greg's Greg Greg to round it out. How is our baseball recruiting doing? What rank is our class? Any names we need to know for the MLB draft that might go to the leagues or might show up at Ole Miss? Well, Jerry on Ely. But how is Ole Miss baseball recruiting doing? I haven't really paid all that much attention to it. It's a little early, too. And, like, I, baseball recruiting is so hard to follow because it's so spread out. It's hard to even figure out, like, what kids are not and on the radar. You just kind of go by the commitment. So I couldn't, I couldn't possibly give them a good answer. Yeah, their ranking is in the top 25. But other than that, it's like Rippy said a little early right now. And it's different. In baseball recruiting, when schools recruit prospects, whenever that prospect makes his decision, all the other schools that didn't get the kid back off. It's the only sport that this happens in. Major sport. Yeah, it's like it's like golf. It's like just like a gentleman's agreement. Like it, it's amazing that it's stuck in play that long too, the bigger college baseball's gotten. Obviously still like a niche sport, but it's bigger than it was a decade ago. I'm surprised that's still kind of the case. I am too. I am too, but it happens. It's a gentleman's agreement that I'm not going to recruit your kid once he commits. It's something you don't see in any other sport. But that's all the questions we have for the mailbag. What do I got to do to get you to watch Game of Thrones? Um, Probably not a whole lot. Like if someone actually was like, hey, you're going to sit down and watch this, I would do it. I just don't have like the self-discipline to like make myself sit down and watch it. So I don't know. I probably not, wouldn't take much. He's Brian Scott Rippey. He writes and talks for Super Talk at BS Rippy on Twitter. Maester Daniel's coming up in just a second to answer all of your Game of Thrones questions. Your first dive onto Talk of Champions and into the mailbag went pretty well, right? You enjoyed it. Yeah, this was fun. This was fun. We have to do it again sometime. Feels like you're patronizing me. <laughs> what do you mean? You is this, like I'll extend an invite onto my podcast now. You'd probably spike our listenership a bit. Like we could talk. I don't know what we talk about, but we'd find something interesting for forty-five minutes to an hour. 
I fully expected to get the invite onto your podcast by this point and still hadn't gotten it yet. I think that's more about your laziness and not knowing how to set up guests for your show. Well, I just finished this whole school thing, so now I'm going to actually put some put some some backing and some effort in the podcast, so we'll make that happen soon. Wait, wait, wait. You finished school? You're done? He was in grad school. Yeah, He's a young I, guy. I, I, yeah. Yeah, so I, I finished the graduate program. I just did my last two projects last, like, I guess yesterday. So, yeah, I'm done. That's freeing. You feel like a new person once you finish school. I know, and it's going to be a lot more free time. It's going to be awesome. You're not a doctor, though, right? Um, No, but people don't know that. Like, I might just ask people to call me doctor. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. He's Brian Scott Rippey <laughs> at BS Rippey on Twitter. Writes and talks for Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And now we go to Maester Daniel for the first edition of Maester's Chamber. I have been Grand Maester for many years. I'm a Maester of the Citadel. The Citadel has the world's greatest library. History, strategy, healing. This link is made of Valyrian steel. Only one Maester in a hundred wears it on his chain. It signifies that I have studied the higher mysteries. Welcome into the Maester's Chamber here on this mailbag edition of Talk of Champions. I am not Ben of House Garrett today. I am a simple squire in the chambers of one Maester Daniel as he answers your mailbag questions in regards to Game of Thrones. Maester Daniel, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? Good. A lot of questions on this mailbag edition of Talk of Champions. We've already covered all the Ole Miss stuff, so if you've gotten to this point and you're wanting to hear more Ole Miss stuff, it's done, it's over. It's Game of Thrones time. I'm not going to interject. I'm not going to provide my opinion. Simply go to Maester Daniel for the answers to your Game of Thrones questions. The verse from Gant 8 Go Rebs. Do you think Littlefinger was the green-eyed death for Arya or the obvious Cersei? It can mean many things, but, you know, she could also kill Cersei. That could, you know, Cersei's the last one on her list. It could certainly mean that. Prophecy has been shown to be just really whatever the writers want it to be. Grandmaster Marwyn talks about it the character that jim broadbent ended up playing i don't mean they changed his name too but he's this weird esoteric maester who uh talks about how prophecy is like uh, a woman who's performing oral on you and uh then she bites your penis so basically talks about how prophecy just is a uh it can be great and then it can be tragic at the same time Many times in the book, they talk about prophecy doesn't matter. The prophecy can really mean anything to the writer, to these guys. I would still like Jamie to kill her because I think you're right. I think that Jamie and him together, them perishing together would probably be most, would close both of their arcs together because that's how they first saw them in the very first episode. Proper for a maester to use the clinical term for member. It's real life. If you want to look up one of Grandmaster Morrow's famous quotes. Hasn't been seen since 2005 in the books, by the way. Characters introduced, and then he's just there. At Ken S. Smith, is Bran the Lord of Light? Is John a fireweight? Uh, yes, I think that's exactly what you could describe John as. Depending again on what you consider prophecy, he could still be Azor High, and or him and Daenerys both together. But Bran is the Lord of Light. I don't know what Bran's going to be. I don't know which direction they're going to take Bran. Bran's whole deal, his whole purpose has been served, so we don't know what his extent of his powers is going to be. We don't know what he's capable of, and he has literally no enemy now. So he's going to be the X Factor going forward, literally and figuratively speaking. 
Where would the he, theory of Bran being the Lord of Light come from? How can you connect? He that could dot? take control of a dragon and become Lightbringer personified. He would be able to merge himself with a dragon, which has never happened before. At so, Rust for Christ, before the ending credits for Game of Thrones, will Bran's eyes turn blue? I hope not. I think we probably put that theory to bed, but if they wanted to be snarky, they could do it, but I don't think it's going to happen. How could do they you, even get to that do, point? I don't know. I don't know how they would be able to fit, fit that in to make it plausible in three and a half hours. Do you think it could happen? I don't think so. I don't know what purpose yeah, it would serve. Exactly. At Dave underscore Elmore, Jamie kills Cersei. Fight me. No, I'm with you. But if Arya kills her, I mean, are you sad? No. Cersei's destroyed her whole family. If Sansa got to kill her, who, you know, would anybody be mad? No. There's lots of people who would like to kill Cersei who are still alive. We've long referenced the Valonqar prophecy. For those who might not know what that means, what is it? It was made by the witch that Cersei went and saw with her friend, Maggie the Frog, and that she would have three children that Robert Baratheon would have 16 in the books. I think it's different in the show. Basically say that the Valonqar, which is Valerian for little brother, would our younger sibling, they would perish. She would perish by the hand. Both of her younger brothers are still alive, so it obviously lend itself to be one of the Lannisters, Tyrion or Jamie. If the two showwriters are going to continue to subvert expectations, it would be right up Arya's alley. Because now that you're disadvantaged, why would you not send the best weapon you have directly at Cersei? A question from at Spirit Ben. What if the crossbow that Bronn is carrying, he shoots it at Jamie? It misses and hits Brienne. She dies tragically, which sends him over the edge to fulfill that prophecy. Could that work? She could be Nisa Nisa. Yeah, I could see that. He finally returns the love to her. It would be a way to uh, flip the normal knight, male knight, saving the female. It would be her sacrificing herself for him and redeeming him so he can save the kingdom, which is fine. I don't know if they can go that direction. What is the Nisa Nisa prophecy? Nisa Nisa would be the wife or spouse of Azor Ahai, the, the, the one who's going to redeem. It's, I still don't think, I don't know if they're going to do a bunch of mystical stuff, but that goes into who's going to be on the Iron Throne, which is the main question now. I think it's got to be one of the Targaryens. Why else would they continue? To, I mean, unless Cersei just wins, which would great. She's a, a, a crazy woman. She literally is what Littlefinger wanted to be which is ruling over Kingdom of Ashes. Because there's going to be nothing left, even if she wins. What do you make of the visions that Danny saw in the House of the Undying? Unless they're going to try for some weird symmetry, I don't know if they're going to really reference those. I think when they kill the Night King off so quickly that they're trying to get away, they're trying to get back to what, their, like you said, their wheelhouse is and go more towards dialogue-driven political drama. Because they don't know what to do with the mystical aspects of it, of the show. Nisa, Nisa and stuff, we can get into that. But really here at the end, I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't think they're going to be able to do, fit that and throw that some into the general viewership's wheelhouse. At Reb Tig Bones, White Walkers were everywhere. White Walkers are nothing more than the dead beyond the wall, frozen looking. Argue that or agree. That they're just pawns, smarter whites. 
I don't know really what the question is. White walkers were everywhere. White walkers are nothing more than the dead beyond the wall. They're just a bunch of, they're a bunch of, I guess they're just Craster sons that are, we don't know what's going to happen. I don't think we're ever going to find out what white walkers were, what their motivations were beyond him wanting to kill Bran personally. We don't, I don't think we're going to, they're going to focus on that. I think they're going to focus on Cersei more than anything. Cersei, I think, will be the focal point. I don't think they're going to try to go back and explain what Bran's relationship is to the Night King. I mean, they might, but I don't know how, if they have time to do that. What's the most popular theory from book readers in regards to what the White Walkers are and the motivations of the Army of the Dead? The Night King's not even really in the books. It's a complete show creation. The story itself is not a creation. It's It's told by the Free Folk, and it's told by Old Nan, who either descended from them or has related to the North is very inbred with the Free Folk, too. The story is always about them, you know, being related to the Starks. The whole theory that he was a Stark comes from is it birthed from that is for the story of the, the original Night King. But the, only the white uh, the others are, have been seen in the books. The lieutenants. My favorite one is that uh, Stannis is going to become the Night King instead of dying, being executed by Brienne. He basically sells his soul to the others and becomes. The king, because he's beyond the wall, obviously in the uh, in the books. Like you know, uh, when he when he made the charge on Mance Raider and the the gigantic army right there at the Battle of the Wall, the Battle of Castle Black. The theory is that when he's up north and he's trying to get south to Winterfell, instead of burning Shireen, that he'll turn back and he'll basically sell his soul to the White Walkers. Because Daenerys, actually, you talked about when she went to the House of the Undying, those warlocks, she sees a man. And Melisandre season two, a man holding a flaming sword with no shadow. He's produced the shadow babies like we said that she might have done to mask Arya to get to the Night King. But uh, that that's going to turn his loss of his soul basically turns him into the Night King. And he takes control of the White Walkers. He sounds more evil than he already is in the show. Well, he's not evil. He is just uh, singularly focused. Yes, singularly focused. He has Theon, the only chapter, uh, one of my the best chapters that he's released that he's never going to, the book he's never going to write, The Winds of Winter, is from Theon. He's talking to Stan, he hears a conversation Stannis is having with the people that are coming in. And one of them is the Karstarks, who have betrayed the Starks, and Stannis is going to find out he has them all arrested and he's going to have them all executed. And because the Karstarks have northern blood, I think they're going to use Melisandre to burn the Karstarks and then travel to Winterfell to start the battle of what would be that battle. Those so, books are I, going to get done. I don't think they're going to get done by George R. Martin. They're too much of a massive money-making opportunity to not get done by someone. I think George R. Martin has actually been aided by a few, not ghostwriters, but writers to help him, and then they submit the, the, you're just you're, that you're, you're deluding yourself. Don't, don't do it. Yeah, they're going to get done. I believe they're going to get done. At the Stephen Willis, Game of Thrones, great episode. I think he's talking about The Long Night. Great episode or the greatest mm-hmm. episode of TV ever. As a spectacle, the greatest ever. As far as Game of Thrones is concerned, I said I wouldn't interject myself. I'm a simple squire. Maester Daniel. Spectacle is, is, is grand, but no, I don't think it's the greatest episode. I don't even think it's the greatest episode of the, its own show. Trying to put it up there with the greatest episode to television of all time is... Quite a quite high praise. The sheer scale was incredible. The, all the people and the way they 
were able to organize them, but uh, it went for style points, that kind of stuff. And people are going to love watching big battles, but just to kind of a mess in the middle. I mean, I liked Hard Home better the first time you saw how dangerous they were. You felt how much of a threat the Night King was. I mean, you talked about it. You said that you called me after you watched it. You said that redeemed the whole season. Season when five hit, was terrible until then. It had what people wanted. They wanted to see if Valerian still actually mattered, and it did. And you saw the the look on the White Walker's face that, oh my gosh, he can fight back. To not use any of the Valerian steel, it just seems like a waste. It's a fantastic in making you feel claustrophobic and making you feel tense. But it's just not. The story is such garbage, really, unfortunately. Okay, last one from Spirit Ben. How would you be satisfied as far as a landing for the show? What would satisfy you? If a Targaryen sits on the throne. That's what we've been building to. Now, which one is it? And you can't bring back Aegon Targaryen and not pursue that thread. I hope it doesn't go towards Jon versus Daenerys at the end because that would just be petty and stupid. I think they're going to go with the dawn of a new day. There's light at the end of the tunnel type storytelling now. As long as a Targaryen, if a Targaryen is on the throne, yeah, I'll probably be satisfied. And what would uh, you grade the show at that point? I don't know, man. I have to watch it. We still got lots of twists and turns, possibly. So it's way too early trying to make me see what we're going to do to put a bow on the whole thing. I think the floor is a B. Um, It's already a B. Just the Red Wedding itself, it might be the most shocking hour of television I remember probably ever. I was laughing at people's reaction to it. It was hilarious. Well, you knew what was coming, I remember. But not even just, but not just what it was coming. It was just the fact that they... It was so much more graphic, <laughs> even though it was bad in the books. And then the way it ended, they just they walk up and they cut Caitlin's throat, and then it just there was no music at the end; just it's cut to black. I remember so. when I started it, I said, "What can I expect?" You went, "I'm not going to tell you anything. Call me when you watch the Reigns of Castamere." I remember getting woken up when you called me about Baylor the first episode. You said they killed they killed Ned, and I said, <laughs> "I said you just." You just hold on. You just hold on to your horses. I had no idea what I was getting into, and look at me now. I'm obsessed, and I read everything. <laughs> it's terrible. Next week, we'll return with the third to last episode of "The Night Is Dark" and full of spoilers. Three more left. Maybe we'll do a recap completely after the show is over. I'm gonna miss doing "The Night Is Dark" and full of spoilers. Maybe there's another show we can do. But for now, this has been Maester's Chamber with Maester Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. You're welcome. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc